0: Amen. This is my father's world. Isn't that the truth? It goes right along with Noah's theme of glorifying God through the beauty of his creation. Well, it's good to see everybody here this morning. It is an unusually warm day, unusually warm weekend. You know, cold one second and sweating the next. But I'll take it. It's better than the cold weather. I'll take the, don't have to burn wood and heat the house for a little while longer. It's fine with me. I enjoy it. I want to, before we launch into our passage today, as we continue our covenant class series, we're going to be in 1 Timothy 3, if you want to be turning there. But I just want to thank everybody um, for their service for yesterday's work day. We had a really good turnout, and a, a lot of work got done. And, um, what was accomplished. I'm always impressed. It's like more, more and more people as they come out each year have better equipment. And we had like really nice leaf blowers. There's about five or six, eight or ten of them going around on the property where we used to be confined to one or two. And, and we have tree trimmers and all this. So uh, bless you guys for all the equipment that you are accumulating. And thank you for using it um, on behalf of taking care of the, the grounds. Appreciate Mark um, spearheading that as well. Great job. Also, as you can see in the bulletin, we have our Thanksgiving share service coming up. And that's an opportunity for you to give a testimony of what God's doing in your life, a a way to give him thanks. Um, It is not something we have to do. It's something we, we get to do. And we want to promote here at New Covenant Fellowship a community of gratitude. So we want to be people that are, are ready to praise God, people that are aware of what God is doing in our lives. That is praiseworthy. And so I know that we have prayer and, prayer and praise requests every Sunday, but this is a dedicated service. That's an opportunity for you, the body of Christ, to edify each other. Remember, we exalt God and edify the saints and evangelize the lost, but to edify each other by sharing what God is doing in your life. So please let me know if um, you have something that you would like to share. Uh, I need several uh, short-winded people or a few long-winded people. (laughs) Whatever God provides, we'll take it. So uh, I have one volunteer so far. One very faithful, faithful volunteer. We are in our covenant class series And we have one more topic to cover, and that is the topic of church government or church polity. How do we organize? How do we govern govern ourselves as a church? So I'll be speaking about that today and also the first Sunday in December, which I think is December. Is it the 4th? Or am I mixing that up? Yeah, the 4th. So... um, And then that will conclude our series. But as I was preparing for this and thinking about how we govern our church and and our leadership team, I was just reminded the whole purpose for engaging in a covenant class uh, series was to bring us all, make an attempt to bring us all on to the same page. It was coming off the heels of COVID where I believe COVID has fragmented the church. And I, I don't... I wouldn't say that the church is completely healed from the fragmentation that COVID placed. COVID tested us. Um, it tested our faith in a lot of ways. And as you'll hear, um, it tested our leadership. I mean, we, that, there were hard decisions that had to be made. And I'm going to talk about leadership today. But there were hard decisions that had to be made. So I just thought if we could get back, come back on board and see in writing and hear in voice, why we are new covenant fellowship, why do we exist? What does God have in mind and I shared our history, our humble history of meeting in homes and then renting church buildings, and finally god 's provision of this ground, these grounds being donated for the purpose of ministry, and then the hands working hands coming together to build this structure um, and so it 's just it 's a beautiful testimony of what God is doing, but we have a purpose. We're, we're planted here, a kingdom outpost, if you will, and I wanted us to come onto the same place, page to to get a better understanding of why we even meet. Why do we bother? There's a lot of things to do. So why do we do church, and then why do we do it in the way that we do it? And I hope that this series has served to to uh, that purpose, bring us on the same page, and to at least unite us and have an, a proper understanding of why we meet. So, with that said, I want to read some scripture to introduce our topic of church polity, and we will be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to read, we're not going to t- um, examine all 15 verses, and there's a lot of other scriptures I could use, but I just want to use this one. You'll get the point of it, because it points at leadership, and I want to read all 15 verses so we can get the proper context of why we have elders and leaders and why we have qualifications that they have to meet. The Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, begins by saying, This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, pillar and buttress of the truth. So I, wanted, I, I read all the way to verse 15 because what Paul is describing here is how the church is to function. If I'm delayed, I want you to know this, and in particularly in this chapter, it's about Elders and deacons, it's how the church should be governed. And I'm not going to get into the qualifications and the identifications of elders and deacons today, uh, all these high and lofty characteristics, so you can be at ease until next month uh, as I describe those. But I think it's important for us to see that leadership is, is important to God. And it is a revelation of, ...of God in how we are to organize ourselves, how we are to be led, who we're listened to, who we're to follow. And so that's what we're going to be looking at for the next several, or at least for the last two um, sermons in this series. It's part of being the household of God. So let me quote some covenant class material as we dive in. Church polity describes the governing structure through which local churches are organized and led. And all churches exercise some form of church management. Now, you have been, a lot of you have been members or involved in other denominations, and churches do it different. Baptists do it different. Presbyterians govern themselves a little different. Uh, Episcopalians, Congregationalists, and so forth. So though there's room for some flexibility, we believe that the scriptures clearly lay out parameters concerning how God's people should govern themselves as God's people. The church, the body of Christ. NCF has a form of church polity based on its best attempts to remain true to the biblical teachings, and that form is a plurality of elders. So that's what we're going to focus on this morning. But I want to begin as we think, rather than just jumping right into leaders and looking at the qualifications, I want to just kind of lay a, a, a foundation so we, we understand leaders in the proper context of the big picture. And I've been trying to do that throughout this series because just to, to zero in on leaders and the authority they have or don't have without understanding, well, your part, because you might tune me out, think, well, that he's just preaching to You know, Kevin and Rick and Sam and Corky. But no, this is for everybody. So I want to lay, get a few things straight or make a few basic statements. When we think about leadership, and first of all, and I've said this before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it is that remember, we're talking about the household of God, but Christ is the head of the church. Everything points to Christ. It doesn't matter what position. doesn't matter how long we've been in Christ. Christ is the head. We are all about Christ. We're not about promoting positions. We're not about promoting gifts and people and so forth. All of those things are given to us so that we will glorify God. Colossians 1.18 he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So any kind of sermon that comes from this pulpit, please understand it's with the basis and the understand that Christ is preeminent. And any any way that we serve him, any way that we sing to him, praise him, we, we organize ourselves. We make decisions as a church. It is so that Christ be preeminent. Leadership has to be understood in the context of the body, all the parts of the body working properly, because leadership is just one part of the body, not the whole body. It's one part of the body. So this idea of a living organism with Christ as a head that has many working parts that serve God in distinct ways is the picture that I want to paint. We all exist for the glory of God. We all exist to serve God. There's not a believer alive that cannot bring God glory, that cannot serve him, that cannot minister to him. But we're growing up in him and we're doing it together in different capacities as we serve him. God is growing each of us, whether it's on the worship team or special music or as you come and give a testimony of gratitude for thanksgiving. These are all opportunities for us to grow up into Christ the head. Secondly, as we think about leadership and how it fits into the whole body, it's important for us to understand from our perspective that all saints are ministers. And this is looked at in different ways in the church universal. But all saints are ministers. 1 Peter 2 9, he is writing to the dispersed church, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He's saying this to be- believers. Some of them are new believers, some of them aren't Jewish. A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of Him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you see that what, what the priests do, but they declare the works of God. They participate in bringing people to God. Revelation 1, 5, and 6, he loves us. Last book of the Bible. He loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So the New Testament, the the church, is filled with ministers. It's filled with priests. We we, we call this the, the doctrine or the teaching of the priesthood of all believers. And sometimes there's this dichotomy in churches where people are taught or naturally begin to think that, well, you have the leaders and they're the ministers, and then you have us and we just maybe support them or or their ministry. That's a part of it, but that's not the whole picture of what Christ paints for his church and why we exist as a church. We all have a ministry. We just don't all serve God in the same way. Leadership is just one of those ways. Now, the Old Testament in the law of Moses, the way God organized his people as the people of God and a nation of God was by the use of a priesthood. And it was very unique, it was very distinguished. We talk about talked about this in our study of Luke. Corky's going through Luke in adult Sunday school class. And none other than Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are in our Christmas story. Zechariah was a priest, he ministered to God. He served God. And in this particular instance in Luke, he was serving God in the temple, in the holy place, not the holy of holies. You only go in there. You have to be the high priest. He wasn't the high priest. And you only go in there once a year to sprinkle blood. But in the holy place, you go in there daily. There's the incense has to be tended, uh, the lamp or the menorah that has to be tended, and the bread, the showbread that needs to be replaced, uh, periodically. So there's daily ministry in there. In order to minister to God in the Old Testament or to be a priest in that distinct way, you had to be uh, in a certain line. Some of it was biological. Uh, you were either from the line of Aaron, the Aaronic, or the Levitic priesthood. So there were a lot of stipula- stipulations, but this is how God chose to organize, manage, and minister to his people and the way that they could come and minister to him. So commoners would bring their sacrifices to the priests and they would go through the rituals and offer them to God. And then an amazing thing happens as God reveals more about his plan in Hebrews, we find out about Jesus and we trace him back to the order of Melchizedek. We, 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 have, we have his... Um, he, he is by right a minister to God Otherwise, but he's, his priesthood supersedes even the Aaronic priesthood. It was before all of that. And Christ fulfilled all of the duties of the Old Testament priests. All the symbolism that God used to teach his people about the one to come. The one that will come and that sacrifice will be so grand and so pleasing to God. There are no sacrifices necessary from this point on. And that's Christ. And so he has established the priesthood of believers. All of his followers are ministers to God. And he has a plan for us. Peter tells us that we would declare his excellencies. That's one of the ways that we serve God. Uh, we've been in 2 Corinthians. Actually, there's only one more sermon in 2 Corinthians to go. We're winding everything down this year. And one of the themes... In that entire book, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18, Paul calls our ministry, and he's talking to this church with a lot of problems, the Corinthian church. They did not have their act together. And he tells them that all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And the priests in the Old Testament kind of brought Man to God and, and God to man. They were mediators. We have one mediator, Jesus Christ. He brings us. You, you only get to God through Christ. I love the way scripture makes that so plain and clear because it just cuts through all the false religions. It says, no, there is a God, but if you want to really know him, you can only get to him through Christ. So in this sense, every believer is in some way a minister, a priest. We have access to God, everybody, access to God through Christ. So if you're saved, consider yourself a minister. Consider yourself a priest in that sense. As a matter of fact, in that sense, we're all in full-time ministry, right? When do we get to stop ministering? praising God, declaring God, serving God. We serve Him in our marriages, we serve Him in parenting, we serve Him in our homes, we serve Him in our workplace because we do all to the glory of God. That's a ministry of God. So at least in that sense, we are all full-time ministers. A ministry is just a, a way to serve. It's a position of servanthood. And then interestingly, in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12... Uh, the Apostle Paul, in describing the church and the body of Christ, says he gave apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, these are all believers. Uh, they are gifted to serve God in a unique way. And, and in what is, why did he give the church these particular people? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the people in the body of Christ. See, our tendency is to think that only the leaders can minister, And yet Paul's saying, well actually the leaders are part of God's plan to equip everybody, the priesthood of believers, to equip everybody to recognize their ministry and fulfill it in Christ. So it's more of a specialized areas that God uses us. We have natural talents, we have spiritual gifts. God gave those to us for a reason, and that reason is to bring him into everything, to glorify God in every way. So we all share kingdom responsibilities. We all share ministry responsibilities. So it, it, I think this, when we look at leadership in the big picture, you don't have leaders up on a podium like in this distinct little elite class. We all we're just serving God, like like you serve God. We're serving God in the way He's called us. You serve God in the way He has called you. Kingdom responsibilities, kingdom duties are shared by the entire body of Christ. So understanding that Christ is the head, and that all uh, members of His bodies uh, of His body are ministers and. Servants help us understand the role of leader, of leaders. So third, um, the whole body shares authority. Now, I've never seen this in any teaching, other teachings about books, I mean about elders and leadership, but I thought it was, it's just interesting and we need to understand this because a lot of times we think about only the leaders are given authority in the church and that's only partially true. Leaders are responsible by God to exercise authority that they've been given. But the whole church, God looks at the whole church as a unit. Remember, we're the body of Christ. We, we are a living organism, and we, we are working parts that all need to work together. So he doesn't, a lot of times when you, you say the word church, you think of just the pastor and the leaders. The church is everyone. So, there is a sense in which we share God given authority, and I want to give you two examples. One of them is the more recent, just because we've been in 2 Corinthians and the Corinthians were misbehaving, and so the Apostle Paul threatened um, bringing down with the authority God has given to me, I'm coming to you, and I will use my authority severely. In other words, no more sin. It's time to repent. If you don't do it on your own, I'm coming. And, and, and church discipline will be involved in this where you may be cast out and put into the hands of the enemy because you're living like an unbeliever. But if you think about the process, what happens first in Matthew when Jesus teaches us about how the church, the kingdom of God, is to function when there's sin in it, when the purity of the church is compromised, when Christ's witness is compromised, who is on the front lines? Not the leaders. They're the last resort. God has given believers, fellow brothers and sisters, when we see a sin, to confront it. We have that authority. They go first. First you go in private. Then you take a few witnesses for, with you. The last resort are the leaders. Then take it to the church, even the church, he says. But By this time, now you're talking about the leaders of the church because you, you, because you go to that one that one unit that represents the rest of the church that serves them in that way so not only does it begin with the individual but it also ends with the church as a unit because what when you bring these issues to leaders we analyze the situation remember it has to be more than has to be at least two witnesses to substantiate it and then we say yes this is a sin of the level of church discipline and then what the leaders do? It comes back to the whole church. So ch- church discipline isn't just a decision of the leaders. It's a decision of the whole church based on knowing and understanding scripture. The whole church says yes. Based on what scripture says, this is what we need to do. And it requires the whole church to enforce it. It's not just the leaders. So in that way, the whole, God looks at the church as a functioning unit. And we're all serving him in the way we can. But in that way, the whole church stands as a block of authority. Let me give you another example that's maybe even clearer. When we're talking about leaders in our covenant class material, it states this. I'm quoting elders called by God and appointed by man. It is our belief, I'm quoting, it is our belief that elders are called by God and ordained by the church. God prepares and the church confirms. Acts twenty twenty eight. pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So when we talk about how God chooses to govern the church, one of the things that he is at work, actively at work in, is calling his chosen vessels to serve him in this particular capacity. The Holy Spirit is at work. And so we often hear terms, every elder that ever served in this church would say to you, at that time, I was called by God. And I can tell you, that the main conviction that keeps leaders going in a task that is not often <laughs> that is often hard, and you're sometimes you're tempted to think, "Why am I doing this it is it is inequivocally because they feel called by God. you can't abandon your post when you feel called by God because the Holy Spirit has done that work in you, and elders that have moved on it's because Usually what they say is, I feel released from God's calling. It's not what happened in the church. It's what's happening on a level of divinity. So we have that aspect and that activity of the Holy Spirit working in individuals, preparing, training, and we are to be on the lookout for that as well. However, in addition to the subjective calling, the work of the Spirit in the inner heart and mind of a person, there's something else interesting that takes place. Because in order for God's called man to be put in that position, the church has to confirm it. The church plays a role of kind of thumbs up, thumbs down, if you will. A role of authority. Because God has established the church, and we just read the passage. We are all able to look at what God's word says. It's not Gnostic. It's not secret. It's not knowledge of just the few. It's everybody has access to these qualifications, and it's objective. It's not subjective. So with your access to these qualifications, you can look at God's word and look at the characteristics that the Holy Spirit, God's saying this is what he'll do in a, in a person, that is to serve him in a certain way. And you can see if they fit or not with individuals who may be already be in leadership and shouldn't be, or individuals who are saying, I, I think God's calling me to serve him in a leadership capacity. So you have the work of god but it's confirmed by the church it's it's you it's confirmed by you so that's how much authority god has placed in you you need to know scripture you need to know the difference between good leaders and bad leaders you need to know and be able to and, and be in commune communion with god to the Extent where if the church presents potential leaders that you have, you know scripture and you've observed them the point where you can say yay yeah, or nay. I agree with this or I do not agree with it because the church confirms leaders. It's, it's a dual process. So what this means is, you know, if we get too big on one side about the inner calling, does that mean I can just say, well, God told me or God has called me to lead you. And you have to just submit to me based on that? Well, You can't argue with God, right? If God told me, you can. Because God didn't only, doesn't only work in that way. He also works in you. And you can objectively say, well, you know, it's possible. But let's just see. Let's talk about it among ourselves. What do we know about this person? Do they or do they not meet God's qualifications? So it's a process. It's a dual process. And then God gives the church. The church has to confirm his calling. Now, once that takes place, once the church says, you know what? I see God has worked in this individual. I see those characteristics. I'm not saying there's not other areas they need to work on because none of us are perfect. But, yes, I see the Spirit's work in this individual. I, I confirm that they're being called to God, which means you're confirming God has put them in place to lead you in that particular capacity. When the church makes that decision, then the church submits themselves to the authorities that they confirmed in the first place. You see how good God is? I mean, look, look at how the body of Christ is to operate and work. We all have responsibilities. We all have a place. Now, you'll know, and it's been a while, it's been too long, by God's providence, but you'll know that when we, as leaders, uh, think we recognize the work of God and the Spirit in somebody, we, we don't just say, look, who could argue that Helmut Lurzer isn't the man for this job? We've, we've talked to him, we screened him. We even talked to Janet, and she was hesitant, but she said yes. No, I'm teasing. So anyway, and, and so behold your new leader. We, is that how we do it? uh uh-uh. We say we think we've recognized these attributes, God's spirit, and then we present them to you. And we say, will you join us in prayer? And will you bring to our attention something, if there's anything that you think we're missing? That we don't know about this individual. It's because we we want it to be right. And we are fallible. And we were not meant to be the only word. Sometimes we're the final word. But we're not meant to be the only word. When it comes to how God governs his people. But once that takes place. Scripture says. We are to submit ourselves to the people that we have confirmed. It's our own decision, our own choice, that we have confirmed as the body of Christ. So we have to, you know, the the common man, we have to know the difference between real leaders and false leaders. Unfortunately, we know so well that the Corinthian church didn't know this well enough. And they let these people come in and preach a false gospel and undermine God's true servant, the Apostle Paul. If they'd have known scripture and been a little more in tune with God in this sense, then they wouldn't have allowed the enemy to come in and, be, and deceive them in this way. Now that's, that's on them. That's the church, not just the leaders. That's the church. So we all share this responsibility here. Now, there's times where you know, um, I've I've heard people in this congregation talk about up and comers, so to speak. Ah, have you seen the way God's working in this individual? I think there's a future for that person. Happens all the time. God is at work, planting seeds to prepare leaders for His church. So it's it's a cooperation between God and God's people. And the Holy Spirit. In order to oversee a body with authority, that authority has to be confirmed by the body, by the local believers that need the leader or God has provided that leader. So it's not a vote. It's really not a vote, right? We're using Scripture to determine who is adequate. It's not personal preference. You know, it's like, well, I want this certain kind of person that can be charismatic or dynamic or have a certain smile or preach with a certain voice or lead with a certain... It's, it's, well, what has God done in this person? That's what determines it. And then Hebrews thirteen seventeen. once that's taken place, obey your leaders. Submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So we need to consider all of this as we think about God's role in God's appointment of elders and deacons. In a sense we all need to be overseers, right? In a sense we all need to keep an eye on the church, keep an eye on each other. It's not just the The pastor, the elders, the deacons. It's all of us. We're all in this together. God has duties and responsibilities for all of us that we share on different levels. So think about leadership as a part of the whole unit, not as something that is just out there on its own. Christ is the head. We are all ministers, and the whole church family works together to exercise biblical authority. Now, With that said, fourth, there are some that are called to serve the body specifically as overseers. 1 Thessalonians 5.12, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And then I already read Acts 20.28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his son by his blood. So church leadership isn't a human idea. God did not bring Christ to save souls and establish churches and then leave those churches on their own to figure it out and hammer it out. He actually gave us specifications and and a means or a path to follow. And that path is the church is to be led by elders. And it is a plurality of elders. When you read the New Testament, you see that this was the common way to establish churches. As far as I know, as far as I can, can see in Scripture, that every church that the Apostle... Apostles ever founded or started, they were exhorted to appoint elders. It's plural, always plural. Appoint elders in this church, in this town, the church in this city, the churches in this city. Appoint elders, appoint men that meet these qualifications. Acts 14.23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church... With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Jerusalem, the church of Jerusalem had elders. We know the church of Antioch. We know the Corinthian church, Ephesus, Crete, all of these, and all the churches in the dispersia, all the churches. The Roman Empire was a huge empire, and there were churches planted without it. And they all were told, and they obeyed this, they appointed elders. Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Miletus. Acts 20:17. from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Titus 1, 5, this is why I, Paul, left you in Crete, that you might amend what was defective and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So a plurality of elderships is, the, is God's plan or revealed plan for how his redeemed people his body is to be shepherded, governed, and led. Now, the word "elder" can is, is interpreted in different ways, and you've heard it in different ways. It can. It's also translated bishop, overseer, pastor. So it covers covers a lot of territory depending on they how they functioned. But I think it's impossible to not conclude, in my opinion. That when you, If you're going to study church leadership, you're going to find that it is a plurality of elders that God has established that are to lead the church. So let me quote Covenant Class material. As the gospel spread, New Testament churches were formed and leaders, both deacons and elders, were appointed to lead and serve the church. From the very beginning, the leadership was plural. With the, ex- with the exception of the apostles Paul and Peter referring to their office in the singular, all other mentions of leadership, elder, pastor, overseer, and shepherd are plural. That's why when you read the covenant class material, you now know why we call ourselves a plurality of leadership. It is an attempt to be honor God, and to be obedient with his holy word. It reflects plurality, reflects the diversity that God has in mind in the body of Christ. It creates a multitude of counselors that Proverbs encourages us to do. It balances the responsibilities and authority of leaders, protecting both church and elder, and it provides accountability of life and doctrine that we talked about in First Timothy. So, you see that. Now, one more question, and then we close. Because the question I have is, okay, if that's what Scripture teaches, what does that look like in a church? Like, what does plurality of elders means, mean? Because how do you make decisions in real life in real time? If, does that mean all of you are in charge and no one person is in charge? Do we have to go to each other for every decision that is made pertaining to a church? Is anybody really even in charge with a plural can we just pass the buck around? you know how does this work in real life? well again from our covenant class, basically when you when you see the plurality of eldership functioning you will Commonly, see one elder functioning over the others. One elder that has been given by the other leaders, elders or deacons. This position, we would know of it as pastor, senior pastor, whatever, as this is the one who leads us. God has called this particular person. You can look at it as headship. God gives, uh, we have a family, but you have a, a head of the family, the one person who is in charge, but is accountable to all the others. Just as in New Testament times there is a ruler of the synagogue among all of the council of elders, they will rule by one, organized by one. So the eldership is often led and organized by a central figure. Most call the position pastor, senior pastor, or head pastor. This individual serves in this unique role with within the leadership, just as in the examples of headship mentioned. The role complements and contributes to the common purpose of the leadership team. So as we function on a practical purpose, we don't make any major decisions without consulting each other. And right now we have uh, deacons that are very mature and are qualified to serve as elders, but are not in that season. So we also utilize the wisdom that they bring to the, the table here, this, this leadership. We meet together. And uh, when it's matters of the church, we all put our heads together, we put our prayers together to make decisions. But I organize the meetings. And they, they have, within this, there's spheres of authority and operation that we kind of function in based on how God has gifted us. So Corky has certain responsibilities. Sam has certain responsibilities. Rick and Kevin have certain responsibilities, and we glean from each other's giftings that God has built in us. So we don't make any, plurality of leadership means we don't make any major decisions unless we've been given the authority to do that. So each leader has certain authorities, uh, authority to make decisions because the, the plurality of eldership has given them that sphere of authority. So I don't have to, uh, call Corky and Sam and say, hey, can, I, um, can I buy more printer paper? We're out. They, that's under a certain management, actually. Michelle would do that. But you, so you see, it's spheres. It's but we're all equally accountable to each other. But in real life, that's how we function. They've entrusted certain things to me. If I'm the one that's going to preach god 's word they 're trusting me to seek him for what what book of the Bible to go to so they've we, we entrust things to each other that enables us to function harmoniously and peacefully. I have uh, been a pastor for twenty years now, and um, so different leaders have come and gone and i have uh, I just want you to know that you have been well served by the leaders that the lord has has ...placed over you and the leaders that you confirmed as the body of Christ. Yes, God is working in these individuals. Uh, the, the guys that have served you as deacons and elders now and in the past have hearts for God. They loved you truly and they were called by God and they stuck to that commitment until the Lord released them. And that's an honorable thing. In our eldership there and deaconship in our meetings there is, in my opinion, incredible trust... And respect among these guys. It's it's amazing to be a part of that. There is, we're so blessed with humility in our. There, there's not this vying for power. And if you read these qualifications, there shouldn't be. But it's. Uh, I am blessed to be able to have meetings. That's they're not all anxious, and you don't go home. At Least I don't. Maybe hope they don't but go home all anxious, like, oh, we're, we're, it's division, the, it's, the it's what we find out in the world. There's enough humility and love for God where we are able by God's grace to avoid that and concentrate on the main thing and keep the main things, the main thing. I am so grateful for God's provision of the elders and deacons that he has raised up in our church. And next time I talk about this topic... I'm going to come down a little bit heavier on those that are not yet raised up while honoring those who have served us. Because the passage begins by saying that it is a noble thing. It is a noble thing for one to desire or aspire to this. So my question is among those that are qualified or those that meet any kind of stipulations for New Testament service, whatever that might look like, where is your aspiration? If God says from heaven, it's noble, it's good, it's pleasing to me that you aspire to grow up in Christ, that you aspire to take responsibility, that you aspire to find your place in the sight of God to serve your fellow man, Where is that aspiration? Do we have that in our church at New Covenant Fellowship? May God bless the preaching of the word, and I look forward to continuing to praise him and breaking bread together.